Hey everyone, uh, it's been a little bit since we posted an episode. You may have noticed we didn't upload anything last week, and if you're a little bit, you know, not on social media, you may be wondering why. Well, uh... Some things happened. Yeah, some some things happened. Some some fairly large things happened. Uh, how about you give a summary of them? Yeah, so... The other day, um, the hosts of the Progressives of Power podcast, which we did a spot with at one point, um, they hosted a Twitch stream with uh, Noel Stevenson and I think one or two other members of the crew. There were a few of them. I don't remember everyone, but there were there were a couple. Yeah, and they end up making some just miserable comments. Um, just some very miserable racist comments. Specifically, what happened was that they revealed, as a cute anecdote, they brought up a uh, sort of running gag involving all of Bo's brothers uh, having rhyming names about what they like to do. One of them was like a farmer named So, and his design... Uh, incorporates quite a lot of sort of wildly racist caricature stuff. Yeah, in fact, the very specific quote that somebody somebody did in the actual Twitch stream, and this was, I think this was a crew person who said it, not Noel, um, if I remember correctly, um, but what they had said was, like, in, like, this very jokey tone, they were like, uh, Oh, and you know which one tills the fields? So, and it's like, Christ. It's... Is is really bad. It is just miserably bad. And then there was a... Noel did a small Twitter apology that night. Um, they posted, like, a little drawing they did of Bo's siblings in which So was on there. And the justification was that, you know, it was just, like, an inside joke, and it wasn't intended to be racially insensitive, but that doesn't make it better. I mean, honestly, the fact that it's an inside joke makes it dramatically worse. So we took a break because it felt kind of unconscionable to continue doing the podcast, knowing that that was kind of what Headspace these people were working with there's a few about a week of silence less than a week uh like four days during which noel drafted a much longer sort of statement on it uh which is why we're, we're back on this feed at all um it's a tough situation it's an unfortunately not an uncommon one in the animation industry no not at all when Shira is a show that has a lot of diversity on screen and in terms of its voice cast, but the problem becomes that it did not have a lot of diversity behind the camera. Its crew was was fairly homogenous um, and fairly white. Yeah, and this results in, of course, a lot of problems. The the industry is like. I haven't worked in it, so obviously my perspective is fairly limited, uh, but I did go to school for it. I've been in studios. I've been around these studios. Um, This kind of attitude is really not uncommon. 
there's a lot of really bad inside humor that tends to go on in a lot of these places and it's it's not it's not a great environment and that's changed for the better in the past several years thankfully but obviously there's still quite a way to go and one of the steps um that uh noelle did outline in their longer apology that they're going to try and take is introduce um more more black people and people of color into uh the crews on things that she works and i think that's definitely an actionable step and a step in the right direction it's one they should have been doing already quite frankly i hope that they they actually follow through on that yeah yeah something being born out of ignorance or lack of someone to say hey maybe that's not cool doesn't really excuse it and whether or not we accept Noel's apologies is frankly irrelevant because we don't really have a, a dog in this race, so to speak. Uh, we're, we're both white. We don't really have, you know, the the ground to stand on here. Yeah, it's not it's not our it's not our pain to accept an apology over is the thing. Yeah, and before you start tweeting at us, I would encourage you to read the the essay I'm going to post in the uh, show notes for this episode that sort of outlines why so is so bad because the idea of a black farmer isn't inherently racist but there are things that go into a design like that that sort of coalesce into something bad yeah it's it's a history of characterization is the problem right and it kind of it kind of fell into that pretty pretty bad unintentional or not it was it was not it was not good and definitely like definitely worth a long and actionable set of steps to take to make sure it doesn't happen again and and thankfully it seems like at least there's a plan for that on their end i'll be posting their apology on the night of the panel as well as their longer one and the sort of tweet revealing so's internal character design um also with the show notes you know, we love the show, and ultimately, I still think it's good. However, the elements of this behind the scenes require us to be more critical of it uh, going forward, which is what we're planning on doing. Yeah, so we're there's there's a criticism that's been leveled at the show that I, I think is going to be really important for us to kind of uh, address when it comes up. Um, I think a lot of it ends up getting leveled towards Mermista. Like, we... We lampshaded a bit, especially in the episode in which, um, I think it was No Princess Left Behind, in which she kind of gets the enormously rotten end of the stick, and it's kind of played for jokes, and I think that there's there's things about that that we really should have criticized more at the time, and moving forward we're going to try to keep a much more critical eye of when things like that go down. Right. This isn't going to become a dunk cast or anything. We aren't completely disillusioned with the show, but we're going to take it a bit more to task for when it does mess up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, but with that, uh, we're going to, instead of publishing a normal episode this week, we're taking another week off just so we can sort of get back into into the proper mode for talking about Shira. We're going to be back next uh, next Saturday uh, with our episode about Ties That Bind. But for now, you can enjoy a sampling of some of our Patreon offerings, uh, one of our two 
Patreon shows we have going right now, where we watch the um, DreamWorks show on uh, the other one of the other DreamWorks shows on Netflix, Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts. It's a, a short little uh, watch cast with some theorizing and just some some talking about the stuff that impressed us. Um, and it's a little taste of what you can find behind the paywall there. Yeah, uh, it's a really lovely show. Um, I think that you'll enjoy our thoughts on it and. Uh, yeah, hopefully this, you know, is gonna kind of help ease us back into, uh, to doing Ties That Bind, uh, next week. So, thank you all of our listeners for sticking with us throughout this, uh, and I want to thank our, our Patreon users, actually, because we have a few patrons already at the $3 tier, or, uh, Force Cadet tier, um, or not, Force Captain, excuse me, which will, uh, get you all of our, all of our patreon content on there we have the kipo cast we have one where we take a like character quiz uh thing and we're recording uh for the owl house actually uh tonight too and that should be up on sunday i believe yeah so i just want to shout out emma grossman robert harris d the shadow and danielle dupont on patreon for donating at the force captain level uh you're all great yeah thank you guys very much so enjoy the KipoCast, and we'll be back next week with your regularly scheduled she content. Yes. See you then, and uh, have a good night. What's up, listeners, and welcome to the KipoCast, a Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts Patreon sideshow. I'm one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. And this is the first episode of our Patreon-exclusive uh, Kipo Watchcast, I guess. Mostly blind watchcast. So welcome, everyone. Yes, welcome. We're pretty excited. Um, so far, it seems pretty good. I'm really, um, really liking it so far. Yeah, I really dig the vibe that this show has. I basically saw almost nothing about this show since it aired. It's really weird, honestly, because, like, I run in a lot of circles. I follow a lot of Shira blogs that sometimes post about the Owl House or other contemporaries, but it really felt like Kipo kind of got left by the wayside because it sort of, it is kind of a weird uh thing it's kind of a weird premise yeah it's kind of like it's got like this this post-apocalyptic vibe going on it's got like you know it's it's kind of more adventure time adjacent i think um necessarily than it is like similar to a lot of its other contemporaries it certainly pulls from that it's very musical. It is very colorful. I think it's a little bit more structured than Adventure Time because Adventure Time kind of started as a wacky Adventure of the Month that built up its own like myth arc at the end. But this is clearly built from the start with you know the story and world already like uh, finalized. Yeah, this this show is definitely more of like a structured like narrative based thing from the get go. You know, this is more like a, like, YTV14 style show, whereas Adventure Time is more for, like, 
you know, it's trying it's trying to go for a slightly younger audience. So like they tried to go for a little bit more of a serious tone here. I feel like Undertale kind of aged into that audience, but it definitely started off skewing a little bit younger. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But yeah, let's just go ahead and, and dive into it. There's you're not gonna hear a lot of deep analysis because we have no idea what happens in this show. So we're just kind of talk. We're gonna talk about the stuff that uh, stuck out to us and the the uh, talk about our first impressions of these characters in this world. And I think the first episode, which is called Burrow Girl, makes an extremely strong first impression, like right out of the gate. Yeah, like especially visually, like uh, the show is honestly quite pretty. Like um, there's this really stark cut right at the very beginning where it shows like a city skyline and then immediately just a hard cut into it being like completely overgrown just trees coming out of like toppled skyscrapers it's a really gorgeous background painting actually and um yeah just the art style is is really good i'm enjoying both like the background painting sensibilities i'm also really enjoying the character designs which feel like kind of teen titansy a little bit yeah, I wonder, I would need to look up who's on the crew, but I do wonder if maybe there are some Teen Titans crew working on this, or people who are inspired by them. Because, yeah, the kind of very angular character design speaks a lot to the old Teen Titans cartoon. Yeah, the actual animation and the way that they do the fight choreography is also super reminiscent of it, um, I feel anyway. Like, especially there's that first fight with one of the the suited frog guys. And just the way that the fight was kind of choreographed and the, like, that fight was, like, 60% smears. And it was just done in a way that was, like, just very, very reminiscent of a lot of, like, Robin, like, choreography that that he did. So I, I quite like that. Yeah, like, this show is very smear-heavy when it starts getting into the action. It's all about smears and very strong key poses. Yeah, which I'm a big fan of. I think it's a really, really strong style. Uh, but yeah, like, this uh, opening here with the episode is, is very strong because we kind of just get thrown directly into it. Like, literally, Kipo just gets washed out onto the shore by a big wave of water and the next like seven minutes or so are just her kind of wandering around and mar- and marveling at everything she sees yeah she starts out like she starts out pretty scared and very anxious um because of course she's told her whole life that the surface is like the most dangerous thing in the whole world but she gets there and it turns out it's very pretty and it's got lots of fun animals like gigantic fat birds and dubstep bees and uh snail cars and really large bunnies um and she's just really enamored with it very quickly yeah and all of these sort of strange creatures are called mutes obviously sort of pulling from mutant some of them talk some of them don't but even the ones that don't talk seem to be sapient judging by uh manbu as we as we see her sort of uh later Yes. Uh, I love I love the the designs um for the mutes also. Like they're they're not as like outlandish and out there as you might imagine they would be for being like mutated animals and stuff, but like the way that they do kind of change up the design I think is like it's really appealing and it makes them all very cute. Right. A lot of these animals aren't like wildly mutated. Most of them have extra limbs or extra eyes or something like that. Like the bird 
the that we see looks just like a regular old you know sparrow or something it just has four wings and is bright green and is also the size of an suv right that is the third thing um but yeah let's talk a little bit about our principal titular character here who is voiced by a familiar uh face karen fukuhara voice of glimmer yeah i was like i i I do always love hearing recognizable voices and other things um the voice the voice treatment is a little is a little different but it definitely still has that glimmer quality to it which is fun um i'm really enjoying kipo's character so far she seems fun um she's like oblivious and very like i mean she's she acts more or less like a normal like school kid really i think um whereas everyone else is kind of a little more battle hardened so she kind of comes off as like this very naive like out of her depth person in a way that's like kind of fun very charming i think kipo is immediately extremely charming we we, you know we watch her just sort of wander around she plays a few chords on a guitar and kind of improvs a little song i saw that in the trailer um but yeah her just like a wide-eyed idealism set against wolf's stubborn cynicism and benson's just kind of go with the flow he's still cynical but he's having a more fun with it yeah wolf is kind of like very very deadly serious about everything she's definitely like she's she's got a lot of experiences i imagine uh that the show is going to get into with why she's uh she's very loner and and very like not willing to open up um and benson is kind of like he's got kind of a con artist thing going on a little bit he's definitely like he's willing to help for a price is the kind of thing that him and dave have going on yeah him him and dave they're buddies they uh they like work cons together they also have an appreciation for classical hip-hop there's a lot of licensed music in this show that i wasn't quite expecting like we get a song by the d-revolutions when when kipo's in this clothing store getting a new fit like there's there's a there's a fair amount of like real songs in here and, and the soundtrack itself is also just very catchy and has a great vibe a great like hip-hop vibe yeah i'm i'm really enjoying like the the relationship the show has to music like there's a lot of there's a lot of like musical scenes kind of like music video style interludes a little bit and i i really like that actually one of the funnier bits is that whenever the the dubstep bees show up all of the music is diegetic so that's always very funny right like they just make dubstep like i don't know why um also they i don't know if those leather jackets they are just sort of a part of their exoskeleton now or if they uh make tiny leather jackets for themselves now i i like to think it's the latter they just make little tiny leather jackets yeah we got you need a lot of leather jackets to uh sort of clothe an entire hive yeah it's 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 a hard job but they're willing to do it for the fashion of it Let's talk a little bit about the other principal character who gets introduced in this first episode, who is Wolf. Uh, that's the name we're going to give her, uh, call her by, because she doesn't give out her name. So everyone just calls her Wolf, due to the fact that she has killed and skinned a wolf and is wearing it on her, uh, on her back like a cape. I love Wolf's design quite a lot. Yeah, her design's really good. I'm, I'm loving just like her whole look. Uh, she's got 
Uh, her weapon of choice is really fun. It's basically a giant, like, rad scorpion tail that's been shoved onto a bow staff, which that's really fun. She's, she's kind of like, you know, she's battle-hardened. She's very gruff. She's not super willing to... The thing, the thing that's interesting about her, right, is that she's not super willing to open up or be friendly, but she definitely cares quite a lot. Like, it would be, honestly, within her best interest to just kind of let Kipo go off to die, really, um, instead of sticking her neck out for her. But, you know, even though she's, like, very clearly, like, putting herself at a large disadvantage here, she's, like, still willing to, to help her out, even though she's, like, very verbally, like, not interested. It's, it's an interesting dynamic. Right, clearly there's something else going on because she she also doesn't want to go back and help Benson and Dave in the second episode, and but she does so anyway, without really that much like pushing. It doesn't take all that much to get her onto that course of action. So it, it really does kind of seem like that this battle hard and lone wolf thing is just kind of a big old front, obviously for for something else. Yeah, I'm imagining we're probably going to get some backstory where it's like a lot of this kind of gruff personality is like a defensive mechanism situation. Um, we'll see how that kind of pans out, um, but I imagine that's probably how it's going to go. But yeah, overall, really enjoying um, the dynamic they kind of have together. Like, there's this there's this fun scene, um, like the first night uh, that they kind of camp out together, where Kipo's very excited to just info dump about astrology kind of there's this very strict social disconnect between again like functionally just like a regular school kid albeit kind of a nerdy one and then like you know someone who's been a survivalist for presumably their whole life so there's she's like getting on wolf's nerves but like i don't know there it feels like there's there's like an amount of tolerance for it like she still thinks Kipo is like like fun to listen to I think Kipo is fun to listen to so we can agree on that wolf yeah I don't know I I like I like the way they interact so far I'm, I'm interested to see how their relationship develops over time yeah there there's the, there's is the one that I really want to see where that goes um because Benson and Dave their dynamic is is pretty well set they're bros for life oh yeah they're they're as bro as they come uh, before we get to them, though, we should talk about the Mod Frogs, which is like the kind of first big faction we get introduced to here in this episode that are just humanoid frogs in business suits. Yeah, like, kind of like there's this Meet the Robinsons situation going on here. They're like, like hip businessman frogs. They kind of they're very very concerned with their look they're very concerned with uh not getting any stains on their on their suits or their ties being misaligned um they're also very concerned with capturing humans for some reason yeah we don't know why they want humans so badly even wolf doesn't really know why they want humans it's just they've got they've got something going on and no one really knows what they're they're so far they're a very sort of enigmatic group you know we see we see jamak first and then we see his his two henchmen and their car which is like driven by a dragonfly in, a, in like a uh, like a horse style uh, yoke or whatever 
yeah, kind of a horse-drawn carriage situation, which is very fun. And uh, most of the back half of this episode is just everyone running away from these frogs, which are like, and there's some really, really cool uh, fights and action sequences here towards the end, like first in the in the big skyscraper when they first meet Jermac, and then later in this like bike race where uh, Wolf does some sick drifting. Yeah, the sick drifting and the like using the the hooked staff to like stab into like a crack in the pavement and like yank them over into a side street like the the sense of momentum and the sense of like um inertia that the characters have during these sequences is really really good um they did a great job with that like i said this is like one of the things that really made teen titans work super well was like just that sense of inertia and momentum and like the way that everything felt like it had weight it was really punchy so it's really cool to see that they kind of brought that with them. I am definitely going to check who's on like the boarding and like the animation side of this because I bet you there's one or two people who worked on that show. I have been meaning to revisit Teen Titans at some point because it's such a, a, uh, a show that really stuck out at the time for the way it looked and the way it moved. Yeah, it's definitely a classic. I don't think I ever finished it when I was a kid. I never watched, like, the last season or uh, whatever when they started to introduce, like, all of the other uh, Titans. Yeah, I I don't know why, but I always thought that show got... That show got canceled, didn't it? Like, I don't remember it having, like, a concrete ending. I think, yeah, it got canceled and they had to, like, scramble for some kind of resolution. I do believe that is how it went. Yeah, what a shame. Yeah, because, like, I'm pretty sure the last thing is is uh, them finding Terra at a school with no memories. I think that's, like, the last episode. Yes, that's right. It was, like, that was the bit. It was, like, the third time Terra was introduced, and, like, that was going to be, like, the resolution of her arc, and then it just never happens. But we got Teen Titans Go instead, which is great. Yeah, we sure did get Teen Titans Go. Uh, let's talk about episode two, which is called Explosion Berry. Um, the thing I really like about this show is that it has all of these, like, unique title cards. Uh, like, every time before the actual title card, you'll see Kipo written somewhere in the environment. In the first episode, it's in the clouds. In the second episode, it's on a crate of, like, soda or something. Yeah, yeah, I'm enjoying the unique title cards. There's actually a lot of, like, really cool transitions and and like ways that they handle things like in the very first episode um you have this really cute uh dreamworks intro where um wolf is like fishing up mondu with uh with the scorpion staff and then you know dreamworks presents is like on the side of like a building and it's it's cool and then you have when they go into the supermarket they like it like transitions from a shot of the night sky and the moon kind of becomes the logo of the of the supermarket like there's a lot of really fun transitions and like little framing devices they have visually which by the way i noticed that the moon is purple for some reason yeah, like, the whole night sky is actually very vividly purple. Right. Like, I wonder if that has anything to do with these giant mutated creatures and whatnot. Ah, oh, yeah, I'm wondering. Even the daytime sky actually seems very purple. That and Keepa also seems to be purple. Yeah, also she is straight up just purple. Purple eyes and purple everything, really. 
Like, the other humans we meet all look, like, normal, and then she's out here just purple. Yeah, I'm wondering if maybe this is, like, a weird albinism situation from growing up underground. I guess we'll find out. Maybe, like, it's... We'll find out something. Um, But, yeah, in in episode two, it kind of transitions from from, uh, Kipo and Wolf being trapped in this house and finding, like, a weird crying baby grub to this kid Benson just kind of finding a Walkman, popping in a tape, and just listening to some tunes while he scales this old uh, power line. And it's just, in a, it's just like, once again, the vibe of the show is impeccable. Yeah, the vibe of the show is really, really good. Like, the... Again, the use of music is great. Like, there's this bit where Benson's, like, listening um, to, like, his Walkman, and this gigantic, like, turtle is just stomping around in the background. He doesn't notice it at first because the the stomping is just in time with the beat. Like, it's a, it's a fun little touch. I will say, though, I don't really recommend drinking 200-year-old soda. That seems like a miserable idea. Yeah, like we kind of get a vague the, the 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 setting here is is a little bit vague, but we get some clues. Um, we see a sign in the background that says Pasadena or something, so we can guess that this probably takes place in California. And they uh, when they're in the supermarket, they find some milk uh, that is exp- expiration date October twenty third, twenty twenty. And uh, Wolf says that's about 200 years out of date. So we can pro and from, uh, you know, that coupled with the level of overgrowth on all the buildings and everything, 200 years seems about right, which means that soda is disgusting. I have no idea how it kept any amount of carbonation. Listen, maybe if you keep it really, really high in the air in a truck, maybe that helps. I guess maybe they just built the cans really good. Maybe in this world, uh, food preservation technology is even better than what we have now. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, it seems like their technology was pretty good, uh, considering later when we find the uh, the remnants of the burrow, they, it seems pretty high-tech um, for presumably 2020 technology. Yeah, it's like some real Vault-Tech shit a little bit. Actually, even more than Vault Tech. Like, Vault Tech is big and clunky. The Burrow stuff seems extremely sleek. Yeah, very sleek, very high tech, very, like, very cool looking. Yeah, let's, let's talk about Dave and Benson for a little bit, because I want to talk, talk about Dave in particular, actually, because he is such a funny concept for a character. Yeah, he's he's got kind of a Phoenix thing going on. So we're introduced to Dave. Um, at the very end of the first episode, and he's just like a crying little baby, um, and they open up what looks like a swaddling blanket. Uh, turns out it's a cocoon, um, and that's a grub. Then Benson shows up and, you know, starts, uh, you know, feeding the grub these sodas that he grabbed, and he starts talking about this little baby, like, you know, they're old friends and they go back a while, and just as um, Wolf and Kipo are kind of dealing with the implications of that, like, hey, wait a minute, um, he metamorphoses, like, four times and just kind of progresses through his life cycle until he's a young adult. It's very funny. Yeah, like, he goes from infant to toddler to, like, grumpy teenager until finally he's got his, like... He's got his little mustache, and he's a full adult. Yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of fun, like the concept of a character that's just like very inconveniently, um, at any given moment, going through a life stage change like several times a day. 
like uh, immediately following um, this like massive like fight chase sequence when there's no danger left at that point um, he ends up metamorphosing one last time and he gets like buff and he's still like three feet tall but it, but like suddenly it's just like oh that would have been useful like an hour ago yeah i really look forward to learning more about why he's like this because it's so bizarre yeah it seems fairly unique also like we haven't seen anything else that seems to have a life cycle like his yet yeah um and so we we kind of get the introduction of these two new characters in this episode that are these sort of freewheeling, fun-loving, con-artist type of bros. They try to get uh, Wolf's Deathstalker tail staff in exchange for safe passage through where they're trying to go. They refuse, and so Benson and Dave just kind of sneak in at night, uh, steal the staff and keep on Wolf's bike, and hoist up some traps for Wolf when she gets up in the morning. So they've, they're experienced at this. Yes, they are they're old hats at this kind of thing. It seems like their their MO seems to be like trying to con people out of their stuff, you know, steal their things, that kind of thing, you know. It's all it's all survival of the fittest, right? Right, like we kind of see these two uh juxtaposed ways you can really make it in this world. We have Wolf who's this badass loner who knows how to fight really well. She can throw down with anybody. And then we have Benson, who is very witty and very clever and, and solves all his problems with that. Yeah, it's it's like it's a very fun dynamic they've got going on, for sure. It's the classic brains and brawn kind of situation. It, it really is. Um, I also love how they both just have like a very... They have a very fond appreciation for music. They like they uh, they like to do things with a soundtrack. They uh, they f- kind of have like their their like fight music they'll put in, uh, which is very fun. I'm I'm a big fan of that as a concept. Yeah, it's really good. It kind of reminds me of um, Miles Morales in Into the Spider Verse. Yeah, actually, yeah, I think definitely there's some inspiration that was probably taken from that. This came after that, right? Uh, I think the first season of Kipo came out before, or like contemporary to it. I believe the first season of Kipo was either 2018 or early 2019. Right. I don't know, it just, yeah, there's definitely a lot of like similarities um, to how they, they're, they're kind of set up as characters. And I, I love the dynamic a lot, I love that like character archetype. For sure, for sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about the the action sequence with the frogs here at the end of this uh, second episode because we kind of learn more about what these mod frogs are like. They are they're structured somewhat like a kind of company, but not really. Yeah, kind of like like half company, half like mobsters, mobster company. Um, they also all apparently work for. Someone named Scarlemagne, which is very fun. Yeah, I don't know if they work for them or if they have some kind of, like, alliance with this Scarlemagne. But, yeah, the boss frog, she says something about how Scarlemagne will be happy to know that they have a, a burrow girl here. Which, like, once again, it just raises the question of why are these mutes looking for humans? Like, what is the purpose? Yeah, what is the actual end goal here for them, I wonder? 
Because it isn't labor. We know that because the frogs have these, like, they have a cast system of these, like, flies that do whatever they need them to do. Like, these fly dudes who, like, you know, hover them around and, and move their cars. Yeah, they've got, like, they've got these little fly butlers and little fancy outfits. And they've got the dragonflies to kind of be their horse, like, their, their, their horse animals and and whatnot so it doesn't seem like labor is a is a necessity here it seems i don't know maybe is it a matrix situation is there something about humans that they can get energy from them do they need do humans have some aspect of like thing or knowledge that they don't have that they need like why do they need so many humans yeah maybe are the humans like do they have to do they have to have humans to make more of themselves like are mutes like mutated humans instead of just mutated animals i wonder like maybe we don't really know much about the the conditions that led to this world like because like i said all of these creatures seem to be sapient like even the dragonflies dave talks to the drag to this dragonfly at the end of the episode to sort of negotiate safe passage like it's strange the way that everything is set up here. There's there's um there's no real like the line seems to be the more human you are, the more power you have because these frogs are all bipedal and they can use weapons and wear nice suits. Yes. Though I will say there is it feels like either the more human you are or the larger you are because there seems to be very non-human animals that are very big that that kind of rule the food chain here like the giant mega bunnies right so like yeah the 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 mega bunnies and the bird from the first episode seem a little bit more animalistic like more just regular animal but extremely large whereas a lot of these frogs and these bugs that are humanoid and talk and all this sort of thing. Like it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they sort of flesh out the differences and the lore behind these mutes. I'm very interested in that. Yeah. I'm, I'm very interested to see how this kind of pans out because it seems like there's a lot of very interesting, like backstory and like mythos to the whole thing. I, yeah, I'm wondering like, Obviously, some kind of radiation or mutagen factor is involved here. So, is this like is this like a post nuclear world? Is this like was there some sort of like like natural disaster? Some sort of like space catastrophe? Who knows? Like, yeah, it could be any of them because the sky is so weird. There's so much overgrowth. Like, it's it's really hard to say. I believe Adventure Time ended up being some kind of nuclear thing yes yeah it was the mushroom war and it was just like it was it was a straight up just nuclear war that ended up happening uh also blew a giant chunk out of the side of the earth but you know so uh, at the end of this episode we kind of get our sort of status quo set up here where they got they finally get to the burrow and they find it destroyed and abandoned which is actually good because if there's no one in the bunker that means uh, kipo says that means everyone probably escaped and they're out there somewhere so i suppose the rest of this show is going to be kipo trying to find her dad and the rest of her like burrow mates or whatever yeah or at least the rest of season one i imagine probably there will be a slightly different conflict at the end of season two 
Yeah, um, and of course the very end sets up... This, this show really likes its cliffhangers, I've noticed. Because uh, the end of episode one has the the uh, frogs trying to break down the door because of the crying uh, Dave grub. And this one <laughs> ends with an j- army of cat lumberjacks? Yes, an army of cat lumberjacks shows up and they do not look happy whatsoever. Probably because when the burrow collapsed, there were a bunch of trees that seemed to have been chopped down. Yeah, maybe the burrow it was like the burrow collapsing removed a lot of their workspace. They all have axes, which seems dangerous to me. Yeah, these individuals definitely have an axe to grind. Ho ho ho. Ah, uh, yeah, we got jokes over here. Um... But yeah, like, it's a very strong opening to this show that I really, I never really gave it that much mind. I heard it was really good, and I said, well, I'll eventually get around to it, but I never did until now. Yeah, it's one of those things, like, I have an extensively long watch list at this point of so many things I have to watch, but it's like, I don't know, I always have a hard time, like, getting into new stuff, but... You know, this is this this has been really good. I I'm I'm uh, I'm definitely looking forward to to seeing how this pans out. The nice thing about waiting, though, at least in my opinion, is that a lot of times you end up like having a nice backlog to work through, so you're not like kind of at the mercy of, you know, scheduling to kind of get you know the next uh, the next fix. It's very true. Uh, we've got. Two seasons to work through, 20 episodes, and maybe by the time we finish this miniseries, a third season will be announced. It's hard to say. Um, But yeah, I have a very similar problem where I just don't watch a lot of new stuff. I like to rewatch old things with other people as, you know, as a kind of, that's kind of my way of recapturing the feeling of watching it all for the first time. Um, But it's really hard to get me into a new thing. I have to really, I have to really vibe with it, and this time I definitely really vibed with it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I feel very similar, but uh, but yeah, this show's got a really good vibe, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing seeing where that vibe takes us. I'm really looking forward to learning more about the world and more about the characters. Like the, they have put a very strong starting point here, and then left a few tantalizing breadcrumbs for us to follow. Indeed, they have. So I think that'll about do it for this first inaugural Kipo cast. Like we said, these are going to be shorter, probably about half length compared to our normal episodes, because there's not any analysis to do and we don't know the full breadth of it. Yes, um, but I'm sure we'll have a little bit more to analyze as we go on, you know, as kind of snowballs and we'll have more things to look back on and kind of draw from. Right. Um, so this will be going up on Sundays uh for the time being then there's going to be a week break where we might put up a mini sode of side content or whatever but no promises uh the next time you hear from us on this feed we're going to be talking about the first two episodes of the owl house yes i am very excited about that i i have watched uh i think the first two or three episodes of the owl house um pretty good show i think um i'm definitely a fan of it really looking forward to getting to the stuff with like the like the school characters but we'll we'll get to that later it's from what i know about people's reactions to it it seems like it's been popping off lately 
the Owl House was trending last night, I believe. So something's going on over there. Oh yeah, something is definitely going on, and I'm very excited to get there. But that's for another week. Until then, I've been one of your hosts, Nero. And I've been the other host, Jane. And uh, we'll see you on the other side.